Welcome to Hire It Advisor, the Baker Tilly podcast dedicated to providing insightful guidance and leading practices for college, university, and research institution leaders and board members, experts and thought leaders in higher education finance, institutional operations, collegiate athletics and esports, health and wellness, data analytics, and more. Join our podcast host, higher education practice leader Dave Capitano for bi-weekly episodes to discuss the latest news in higher education and the impact these trends and changes have on the industry. This is where you come to learn what's really going on behind the scenes at colleges and universities across the country. Hello, and welcome back to our Higher Ed Advisor podcast series, which explores challenges institutions face as well as the strategies and solutions to address those challenges. I'm Dave Capitano, Baker Tilly's higher education practice leader and podcast host. In today's podcast, Adrian Larmet leads the discussion and has the pleasure of talking with Scott Houston and Demetrius Robus from Stockton University about Stockton's esports program and how it got started, where it is today, and where it's going. Scott started his career with Stockton University in 2004 and is now the Chief Information Officer. Demetrius is the Information Security Officer at Stockton, an award-winning cybersecurity and technology leader. He is also an adjunct professor and Stockton's esports program manager, instrumental in developing and fostering the university's first-rate esports program and serving as the team's mentor and advocate. Thank you all for joining the podcast. Let's get started. When we talked with you earlier this summer, what was just really cool was to learn about Stockton and how you guys all got into esports. Because it was a little bit different than sometimes what we've heard for other, other schools that we work with. And also kind of who owns it at Stockton is a little bit unique. So I think it would be cool just to start, you know, so Paul can hear it a little bit too. Talk about how you guys started esports at Stockton and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. And I'm going to let Demetrius jump in as he sees fit. He's really the mastermind behind this and was a large part of excelling it forward. He follows, you know, obviously the esports market and saw that it was really an up and coming thing, along with our president of the university, Dr. Harvey Kesselman. I was fielding more and more calls from him asking more questions about esports and do we have students involved in it and whatnot. And then finally, it was just our student base who was already very active in the community, but looking for a place that they could kind of experience it together. We already had a gaming club, which had some involvement there as well. Um, And then finally, Demetrius just said, hey, this is going to be the next big thing. I really think we need to get a facility together and some resources to kind of run with. And he finally twisted my arm enough that we we move forward with it. We located a underutilized classroom and a computer lab that was in one of our um, buildings here on campus. And we started building it out. And it was kind of, uh, if you build it, they will come. And he was definitely right. They they came in droves. And, you know, our program started out almost three years ago now with just a handful of students. And I think, you know, one of our latest events, we've probably had close to 500 students involved. So it's definitely grown very quickly. And then along the way, we've had some great experiences of 
winning tournaments, being in charity showcases and everything else, and adding on to the different types of events we do, but then also just growing the community and having people who don't necessarily even participate in the gaming aspect of it, but still want to be part of that community that esports fosters and uh, have either become program leads, have become, you know, on-screen personalities for us doing broadcasting or video production, and then some just who enjoy attending the events and the other aspects of esports other than just the competitive gaming. I don't know, Demetrius, if there's anything else you want to add into that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it is predicated on what kind of school that you have, right? So Stockton, we have a residential community here. You're not necessarily going to find that at every college or university. So I think having a residential community, naturally, uh, folks want to get together and do things. Gaming is a fairly pervasive pastime for the youth. So it felt sort of like a natural thing to do. And um, personally, I've been a gamer since I was a kid, right? So uh, it was something that I found personally interesting and exciting. And I was a resident assistant here on campus years ago, right? So I was an RA in the dorms and we used to do gaming events back then, but they weren't, you know, really organized or competitive intercollegiate kind of things. And nowadays it's really awesome to see that our kids can actually play against kids at other schools. And it's a lot of fun having the facility, obviously, is a, is a big thing for the students. You know, some of them don't have hardware to use. So it's, you know, it's great that they can roll in there and play on top quality machines. And, you know, even for the students that do have their own hardware, it's a social meeting hub for them. So that's really cool. Uh, and we really recognize esports as really a two-pronged approach. One is the competitive aspect and the other is the community aspect. So we have a cohort of kids that want to compete intercollegiately. And that's really cool. But there's also a lot more students that just want to be part of the gaming community. And they sort of exist within the realm of gamer culture and that kind of stuff, right? These folks grew up on YouTube and Twitch. like, uh, So they're very much plugged into the periphery of gaming, even if they're not necessarily competitive gamers themselves, right? So these are people that'll watch Twitch streams or, or watch YouTube videos and that sort of thing, right? So, you know, for us, it was a giant opportunity, not only to develop folks that wanted to be on the competitive side, but also to foster a community that we knew we had, right? I mean, it's just, it's gamer culture is pervasive at this point. So we knew that they were there. So it's been really fun. We also know that traditionally, some of these, the players and the community members aren't the most outgoing individuals. And we wanted to provide them the ability to have a space that they could go meet other people, engage with other people, conversate with other people, you know, other than just from their dorm room or from behind a keyboard. And I think it's really been able to foster that ability. So Scott, I think it's really interesting that you talk about because that because one of the first things or one of the things that you mentioned, you know, earlier in the summer that we spoke with was kind of like the unanticipated outcome of they're doing social things other than just coming together to game. You had talked about a little bit. They're, yep. they're no, doing certainly other uh, events. So talk you know, a little bit about that. Yeah, we've had teams that have formed because of being on the same esports team who may have been more introverted, maybe didn't have a, as large of a friend base. And now they're eating together. They're going and playing basketball and dodgeball together. 
I think before the pandemic, they had even organized, I think it was a dodgeball tournament that they all came together to play in. You know, they now have communication between each other that's far greater than esports. You know, they they communicate about their studies, about academics. They go to the fitness centers together. They've become more than just esports teammates. I think they've become friends and now participate in a lot of different activities together. Yeah, I think what's so fascinating is what a driver for positive outcomes like a mental health and resiliency and things like that, that, that you're seeing and you didn't even anticipate because sometimes we hear or we read about gamers or different things, like you said, you're kind of isolated in their rooms. They're not really engaging, but it sounds like you've seen kind of the opposite. All, all around, it's been a really positive experience, I would say, for most of the, the players. We had introverted players who became on the national spotlight and started doing, you know, media interviews and talking with the newspapers and everything else. And a lot of them really came out of their shells as part of this, having gone from being behind a, a keyboard and a computer screen for many hours of the day to attending these events and talking with people, meeting people. And I think that's really going to have rewards far beyond their collegiate career as they move into the workforce and everything else. And that's the other side that we're working towards is how can this help them when they do graduate? What can they take from this to really lend themselves to the workforce and the different things that they've learned along the way between, you know, both teamwork and communication, but then also dealing with high stress times and working through and scheduling and everything else that they've had to do to stay active members of the esports teams here at Stockton. I think a lot of those skills are translatable, right? So like if you're streaming, if you're doing presentations, if you're managing a community, all these skills, the marketing aspect of it, managing a competitive team, like they're translatable skills to other verticals, right? So esports is providing them, you know, sort of short-term bullet points on their resume, but also long-term skills that apply not only to the esports industry, which is obviously exploding by itself, but esports and gaming, I guess you could say in general, but also to a bunch of other industries, right? So, you know, marketing and management and communications, like there's a lot there in terms of esports production that's translatable to the rest of the industry. And that's, that's what we're finding with the students is that they take the skills that they develop in the program and they apply that to whatever major it is that they're studying in whatever field. Which has also been an interesting statistic that's come from this is traditionally, you know, everybody said, well, it's your computer science kids, right? When we run the numbers, it's really a really widespread group throughout all of our academic majors, bio and chem students, you know, along with uh, teachers ed and crim, it's really we've yet to pinpoint a certain major that seems to lend to this uh, program. You know, we have history majors who are playing. It's really, it's truly widespread and it is not in line with your traditional technology culture, which is also great because as we've seen, we have recently started this esports innovation center through a grant from the NJEDA and a lot of the companies involved, you know, they're looking for talent and it's not just students to participate in esports. You know, they need writers, they need all the different aspects to run an esports business. And it's really been interesting that a lot of these students who are involved in the program come from a wide variety of majors, but are finding an interest in esports. 
So that's really interesting. Two follow-up questions. Talk about gender in esports and how that plays out at Stockton, because we read about things in the press just about, you know, women aren't as engaged in esports or there's issues around female sports teams versus male sports teams or different things like that. And I think I recall you saying Stockton's taken a little bit of a different approach. They're not facing some of those things that the other well, institutions are seeing. It's, it is an issue in esports that many people are looking into. We've been really fortunate through a lot of the work that we've done and building of the community that we actually have a pretty diverse all around, you know, participation level in our esports program. And while it may not just be the players who, you know, are involved in that, we've seen between the community events that we do, between all the supporting activities, I think last time we checked, Demetrius might know better, you know, we're around 60-40 on male to female participation, which I think for the esports industry is really pretty honorable. Um, so we've been happy with that. And then we also just try to provide as many opportunities as possible. We've seen the esports industry try some things on their own, including, you know, female leagues and everything like that. But in talking to a lot of our female players, which we do have a fair amount of them, they felt as though there was no need for a female league because they can compete with the male players just as well as anybody else. And they were happy to put their skills up against that. You know, they don't feel as though there's a difference in skill levels between male and females. And it was interesting that they kind of came together as a group, as a student body, and led that decision and said, no, we're fine. You know, we're competing at the national level um, without having to have a female league. I think that helped drive continued female membership in our program. And some of them have become our biggest leaders of the programs as well, with both organizing events and taking on, you know, a lot of the organization of where our esports program is going. So it's great to see that type of female leadership in the esports. And that's something we definitely want to continue fostering here at Stockton. Two follow-up points on that. The first I would say is forced diversity doesn't work, right? Like the, the people don't buy into it. There's a myriad of evidence to suggest that it doesn't work. All you need to do is Google the uh, all-female League of Legends team if you don't know what I'm talking about and see, you know, where that brings you. You know, the, re the reality of it is the females didn't want any part of forced diversity, female leagues, female teams. Uh, some of the leagues that we participated in tried it and it failed miserably. And it's even been to the point where the females don't want female jerseys. They want to wear the same jerseys as the guys. So even though we can get a female cut in the esports jersey, they don't want it. And the fact is that we're talking about a mental kind of game here, right? All these games are very much cognitive, you know, sort of functioning games. And I don't think females particularly appreciate being told like, hey, go play over there, right? Like they want to play with the boys and participate at the highest levels of competition, just like the boys would, right? So uh, we, we've definitely seen, you know, the opinion from the females here that like they just want to be like anybody else, right? And they, they definitely do not want to have their own female leagues and their own female jerseys and, and any sort of distinction like that. And really, it doesn't make sense for them to have to have that, right? I mean, it's like chess. You don't have like a female chess league, right? So, and if you do, it doesn't make sense to me, right? I think it's really 
interesting. And so going down this train of thought, there have been incidences or other issues in other leagues where things have been said, or there's been comments and, you know, going down kind of the Title IX sexual harassment vein, has that been an issue then? Since it's so student-led and student-driven that there is kind of really no binary men's, women's team, has Stockman had any issues with that? And if not, how do you kind of head that off? Like, how, how has it not been an issue for Stockton? Honestly, you bring up another thing that esports is working against, and that's just, honestly, general code of conduct while sure. involved in esports. And that's, you know, neither male or female. That's something esports in general, even yeah. outside of collegiate leagues, is dealing yeah. with. And we're very strict about that. Um, we do have a code of conduct, not even just to play, but to be part of our esports community. And we take it very seriously. And if there are any type of infractions to that, you know, we have a no tolerance policy. It doesn't matter which team you play on or if you're just involved in the community, you are not able to play if you participate in any type of uh, languaging along those lines and whatnot. So we do have that set up to kind of, I would say, head off some of those issues that we've seen. You know, we've seen it happening at the younger and younger ages, um, which is concerning to us as well. So we've kind of tried to take it more as a learning opportunity of you're coming into a collegiate esports experience now. This is different than what you're doing. And also remember that even what you do on your own time is still a reflection of who you are as a student. So even when you're not participating on behalf of the university, it's important that you understand what conduct you're doing. You know, all of these games and sessions now are recorded in some way, shape, or form, it seems. So it's very important for them to know that, you know, this is not being out on the football field or something like that. This is, you know, very serious. Uh, Stockton takes it very seriously. And we try to use it more of an educational tool, I guess I would say for them that, you know, because this applies to their everyday life as well. And then also when they graduate the university. So, you know, as far as specific issues, we haven't, you know, had a large amount as far as with the females in Title IX. Um, but I think part of that is because we are so structured in our code of conduct and what's allowable that if there were any instances like that, they would not be tolerated. How did you develop the code of conduct? Was that iterative with the students? Was it student-driven? Was it administration-driven? Because one of the because criticisms of, of esports is mm -hmm. that it doesn't have, you know, a quote-unquote governing body like the NCAA. I mean, there's NACE and there's a couple things and, and governing bodies, you know, maybe moving in that direction, but how did that come about, having a code of conduct? So our students already have a code of conduct as just being a student. And that honestly covered a lot about the actions you can take as a student, you know, what type of, what could possibly happen if you take those types of actions. So I think we based it off of that only because we want to have, you know, some type of standard that also fits with the university language. And then we just built off of it. And we've also reviewed some other ones that both leagues and other teams have put out um, as kind of best practices um, for specifically the esports type of activities. Um, but it is, as we've learned with esports in our massive growth over the last two, three years, it's ever evolving. And you're absolutely right that there is no overarching governing body right now. And we don't 
particularly think there will be in the near future, just okay. because it's moving so fast that it, I think it'd be hard for one governing body to kind of come in and take it over. As you kind of alluded to earlier as well, collegiate esports in general doesn't always fall under the same place at each school either. We've seen it fall under athletics. We've yep. seen it fall under student activities. And then in the weird aspect here at Stockton, we eventually, you know, fell under IT, um, mostly because we just had the enthusiasm and the leadership in that area to kind of do that. But that's really made it a struggle as well Is are they falling under an athletic code of conduct? Are they falling under a, you know, student org and club code of conduct, um, which has made it, I think, difficult as an industry in general to find how you apply rules to it. You know, right. the NCAA has not become involved in this, so you can't take out the NCAA rule book and look at how that works. And that really lends to a lot of other issues that we're seeing as well and developing even in other sports of, you know, compensation for student athletes is obviously becoming a big thing on the national stage and has a lot of potential with esports as well. I mean, we see how much a lot of the esports personalities are starting to really benefit from that, you know, both YouTube and Twitch and everything else. And our students aren't blind to that. And they're kind of seeing, oh, wow, 50 million people watch this stream that I did the other night. Isn't that worth something? So I do think it, it can't go completely unregulated, but I think it's hard to decide who should really regulate the overarching in the same way that we play against division one teams, division two teams, you know, there's no real formal way to do that. And we enjoy that. We love the fact that on any given weekend, we could be playing a big 10 a school in esports. And that's really exciting to us. But as esports grows, naturally, some type of format will have to come out. But it's so scattered at the moment that we participate in different leagues, like you mentioned right now. So we could even have a team participating in one league for one sport and then a team in a completely different league. Um, they all have different rule sets. They all have different bracketing systems for tournaments. Um, so it does make it a bit of a challenge to understand all those rules. And there's also situations that occur during these tournaments and playoffs and everything else that nobody thought of because sure. it's new territory. Well, you know, we didn't know what to do if a team tied. We never thought about that. Or we didn't know what to do if a student wasn't able to continue on during a game for whatever reason. Like, it just was never thought about. And, you know, those are all the things that we're kind of learning as we go along and trying to work as a community to put forward the best we can. Yeah, because it's literally happening in real time, right? So yeah, I mean, how do you anticipate somebody that something that somebody just came up with? Right. Um, and there, there's no referee on the field to even right or wrong, make a call. You know, it's just it's we're, we're figuring it out as we go. Um, but that's also really exciting that we have some students and the administration who's able to kind of be a part of that and grow what the issues are in esports and tackle those issues and find solutions to those problems as well, that it's exciting to our CR students who look at different formats and stuff and say, that doesn't really make sense. We should suggest to the league that they do it a different way, or, you know, they should do the rankings a different way or something like that. It, it's really, it's interesting. Um, and I don't think there's any other 
formalized sport right now that still has that much developing that's happening. Are you seeing interest from faculty and administrators to kind of be part of this movement too? Is that something that's happening at Stockton or? Yeah, I think I think so. And as we announce different initiatives, um, we also obviously want to look into an academic program. And we had faculty coming out from all over, all different programs, either saying like, this is having a big impact in my industry, so I want to be involved, or saying, hey, believe it or not, you didn't know this about me, but I've been a big gamer my entire life, and I just want to be involved in this. And I thought you were just macroeconomics. And they're like, yeah, but at night, I play XYZ every night. So there's a huge involvement by all different faculty, staff, students. It's amazing what kind of involvement people have. And then because it's also a community that they have, many of them have their own children who are playing. And, you know, a couple of years ago, they were saying, you know, get out of the basement. You'll never, you know, go anywhere if you just keep playing video games. But now they point to, you know, oh, well, this on-screen personality just made $6 million last year with green hair and a Mountain Dew sponsorship. And, you know, they're, they're not necessarily wrong. And we're seeing that having involvement with esports on a resume these days is a real driver and you know is as important as being you know on the swimming team or something like that you know a lot of companies are now looking for that because it shares a lot of the same skill set that they're looking for in a modern organization so i want to go back so you mentioned academic programs and Mm -hmm. some schools are starting programs they're starting majors they're starting minors certificate programs or maybe they're rethinking existing academic programs that maybe could be reconfigured because as Demetrius, you were saying, you know, you know, there's, there's marketing, there's business management, there's communications because people are, you know, broadcasting all these things. Is that something you're starting to hear students want, you know, is potential something at Stockton to Stockton? Because Stockton's pretty responsive pretty quickly um, about different things. Um, No, that's in Stockton's future. There's definitely a drive for that. I think, with what we've seen with the diversity of different majors, we definitely want to come to market with a minor in the near future. So that would allow any student, regardless of what major they were, to have that experience and to lend some of their coursework to that. I think we're gonna see an immediate success from that minor and quickly move it into both a you know major, hopefully, and then like you mentioned, certificate programs as well because we're just seeing a lot from the continued education field, looking for individuals who are experienced in certain areas, you know, maybe already have a career, but just need to fine tune their abilities to understand this new esports market. Because now we have, you know, traditional facilities for hospitality and for gaming and whatnot, who are now hosting these tournaments, and they need to understand what they're doing. They need to, they don't, need to be able to set up all the technology for it, but they need to understand what's going to be expected and what kind of costs are associated with that. And then down to even smaller levels of what type of food do you bring in for one of these events? Is it different than your traditional event? And so I think, you know, both certificate and also development of existing skills is really important as well. So I think our continuing education area is going to be really kind of fostering that along the way. Have you seen any type of positive impact on your enrollment pipeline by having esports at Stockton? Have you seen more interest in the university, people coming, asking 
Do you have these programs or want to be part of this? What have you seen? Yeah, I'm going to let Demetrius talk about that a little bit, but definitely on both sides of either wanting to be involved in the community, um, because we do host a lot of like high school events. We had a high school Rocket League tournament, and actually the grand prize for that was to be able to go up against our premier Docton University team, which is really exciting. I mean, what high schooler doesn't want to try yeah. to take on and you know beat the college team? But by doing that, we did foster a lot who said, you know what, this was the best Saturday I've had in a long time. I would love to be able to do this all the time, you know, in college or in, so I think we foster it from both the wanting to participate on the teams, but then we also have a lot of people who say, I just, I love the world of esports. I want to be involved in it. I want to make a career of it. What can I do? Or, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm a math major, but I really want to have some kind of involvement there. Can I either do a dual major or a minor in esports? Kind of give me a chance in that industry as well. Demetrius runs a lot of the recruitment events that we do as well. And when we do the open houses, and we do have a fair amount of people stop by the esports arena to see, you know, what we have going on there and everything else. So he's done a great job of meeting these students, finding out what their needs are, seeing where their interests are. And we've also seen a huge expansion outside of even the New Jersey area of students who are interested um, because of us competing really on a national level. Yeah, so Stockton's Rocket League team is pretty well known nationally. So we have had uh, a lot of success both hosting events with Rocket League but also in getting out-of-state students interested in coming to Stockton, at least for Rocket League specifically. And, you know, I could tell you that just anecdotally, I spent a lot more time this year talking to students about esports, prospective students about esports than I did in the last year or two, right? So I think that it's trending up, so that's good. There, there are a couple of things about the industry, though, that it's probably worth noting it, it makes it very unique, right? So it's still the Wild West. Esports as an industry is still forming, that kind of stuff. But one of the interesting challenges is intellectual property. So like the games that all these kids play are owned by companies. They're not a concept. It's not basketball or right. soccer or football. Rocket League is owned by somebody, right? So at any point in time, regardless of the governing bodies, you know, and I put them in quotes because they're really irrelevant compared to the publisher of the content. At any point in time, the publisher of the content can say, we're going to host our tournaments. We own this game. This is our player base, right? So I think that the dynamic is very different in the esports industry than it is in basically any other industry because you have the content publishers are the ones holding all the keys because they own the intellectual property. And they own all the data, right? All the player data, all the metrics, all the stuff related to progression. All that stuff is owned by the publisher, not by any sort of governing body. And that's that's something that as esports continues to evolve as an industry, you're going to see more and more organizations go endemic, okay? And just say, yeah, we own this. We run it now. This is our stuff. And it's already happening. I mean, look at Riot and look at Epic and some of the things that they're doing. Blizzard, obviously, right? So it's a very interesting industry right now. And esports, for us especially, is much more than just the competitive play. 
Like that's what the kids do kind of almost for fun. There's really a whole ecosystem around esports in the workforce development kind of stuff that Scott was talking about where, you know, they're getting experience streaming stuff, producing content, managing personnel, managing rosters, dealing with administrative aspects. Like, so there's a lot to it that goes beyond just the competitive play. And honestly, it's it's uncertain where the industry is going to go, but I feel like in five years from now, it's going to be a very different place than it is today. I think it's interesting that you introduced kind of like the ideas around like data privacy and that the publishers are owning this stuff. Just getting your perspectives on, you know, the security issues and how you set up information technology controls. I mean, because the nice thing is it sits with you guys, right? It sits in IT. So you're coming at it from maybe a little bit different of a lens. So talk a little bit about how with your IT cyber hat on, you know, you approached setting it up at Stockton and, and how you built in those controls and how you monitor that. Yeah, I mean, my full-time job is cybersecurity, right? So, like, it's something that I'm always thinking about. And, you know, the fact is that there's not really a whole lot of control that we can assert, right? These kids are playing these publishers' games with or without us, right? Mm -hmm. So they're either going to play League of Legends on their own or they're going to play it for Stockton Esports. And really the same is true for any of those games. So we're sort of at the behest of whatever that privacy policy says and really on behalf of the students – so, you know, I think that there, there are tools like Discord, Twitch, YouTube, other things that like we moderate, so to speak, right? And things, things of that nature. But realistically, any of those tools are owned by their respective companies, right? So Google owns YouTube, Amazon owns Twitch, right? You have Discord, it's kind of just floating in the ether there. These companies are the intellectual property holders of the sort of product of esports, right? The streams, the videos, the communication, that kind of stuff. And then you have the actual game manufacturers that hold the intellectual property associated with like game progression and the actual game itself, right? So I think, I guess there's an important distinction between what data are we really talking about here? So like on the one hand, you have the publisher's data, which is the game progression data and that kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, you have the community data, which is sort of, you know, your your Twitch or YouTube, Instagram, any of your public social channels and the moderation associated with that. And then, you know, in addition to it, communication platform, Discord or whatever it is they use, right? Most people use Discord, so. I get your point. Ownership is kind of the two tranches and then it's hard because they're going to do it anyway. But did Stockton have to develop any additional protocols or any additional, you know, processes to, I know you're going to engage in it regardless, but, you know, consciously we're going to engage in it. So what do we need to be aware of? I mean, and if a school is starting down this path, are there any things looking back that from an IT standpoint, a cyber standpoint, they should be aware of? If the school is going to run an esports program and use Discord as their communication platform, the school is probably going to want to be the owner of that server. Um, Discord is making it easier now for schools to set up like their own little servers and stuff and actually manage that, which is good uh, because Discord has become pervasive among the, the youth. So it's only right that they provide some interface for the schools to set things up. But, you know, owning your Discord is a major thing, right? It sounds super simple, but it's very easy for anybody to right click and create a new server. And that becomes your shadow school server, right? So like, 
you know how you've probably heard the term shadow IT before. So there there can be shadow esports leadership too, where like you sort of have people that will create their own sub communities and essentially will call it Stockton esports or you know they'll call it SUNY esports or whatever. So you know the the thing is that the school would probably want to set up and establish the server and be the server owner. Because if it's left in the hands of the students, it's very possible that things could happen. In other words, the server could be deleted, roles could be changed, histories could be deleted. Like from a discovery standpoint, it's a lot easier, I think, if the school runs the server. I think Demetrius brings up another important point that we saw early on in forming, and we tell a lot of teams this is you know, at least a few years ago when it started, some universities didn't want to embrace esports, and they kind of said, no, you're on your own, and you're in no way affiliated with the university. So a lot of students started forming teams that were of students of the university, but the program wasn't officially a university program. Yep. And then they would go and compete under, you know, the university name, but it wasn't really affiliated with the university. And then what would start happening, universities started getting interested in doing this. And some of these organizations said, no, you, you told us you wanted nothing to do with this. So we went outside of there. And now they're trying to bring it back in under the university. And that has some difficulties as well. But with anything, you know, then it becomes, well, is this is this officially under the university? Is it governed by the university's rules when it comes to travel and everything else you can do? And then it opens up doors as we're seeing more about like wagering on esports and everything else that's starting to develop in the world of esports. And if the university isn't embracing the team and the community, they will go on their own and do their own activities. And then it becomes harder to, you know, regulate what can and can't be done and, you know, what the rules and regulations are. So one of the first things we tell any group is do embrace the esports community you may have at your school. And the esports community so far has been great, especially at the collegiate level of trying to help each other out. You know, we want to see esports continue to grow. We want to see every school in New Jersey end up with an esports team. So we do try to work with them to, you know, embrace the community that they have. Being IT people ourselves, we always tell them, make sure you have your IT team involved in it as well because you will need to procure internet for the space. Um, there is upkeep to the computers as well and patching that needs to be done. So that kind of also goes back to some of the, how we protect the students. Obviously you wanna make sure that the computers that they're using are fully up to date and patched and you know the software is updated as well on them really to give them both a good environment to participate in, but also a safe environment. And you can also put controls on to monitor how much they're playing, to make sure that they're you know, still able to continue with their studies, to monitor how they're doing. And we're very happy, last we checked, we have above a 3.0 as our average GPA with our, our players. So by embracing the community, we're able to monitor all those things to make sure it's a safe and good community for our students. Whereas if it's pushed away or kind of, you know, do your own thing, you aren't able to monitor that kind of progress and to make sure that, you know, the students are all competing in a safe environment and really have a, a good place to be able to compete. 
That makes a lot of sense. So definitely making sure if I'm a university leader and I want to, my school is starting to think about it, you want to make sure it's a recognized program, whether yes, or not, like I, you're saying, absolutely. if that's a student organization nope. or if it's going to sit in athletics. And, and I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, because I know Stockton, it's not an athletic program. I don't know, in hindsight, where esports where e ended up makes sense or, you know, what you think about that. So for us, I think it did make a lot of sense okay. um, and it bounced around, you know, at, at one point it was in athletics um, when we were kind of early starting off and it, it's moved around a little bit. And I think at Stockton, which is unique, it has its best home falling under IT at this time. Okay. I think for a lot of other schools, athletics does make a lot of sense only because they're used to operating a team based program. The only caveat I give to that is making sure that they still embrace the community of esports. Far too often, they become so concentrated on the roster, and these are the players, and that's it. They really lose out on the greater good, and that's the community that is developed when you have an esports program. And I think that's where the student development side kind of comes in. So mm -hmm. if at all possible, it's great to meld those two together. But I think in the majority, we've really seen it go the athletics route, um, especially in Division One schools as well. We're starting to see a lot of competition um, in scholarships and everything else in the esports. Being in Division Three, it doesn't affect us as much since we don't give athletic scholarships. Yep. So there isn't that drive. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of the Division One schools, they're fostering it under athletics because it's a natural progression for them to be able to give scholarships to a lot of these students who, you know, are bringing in viewership. And it's a different viewership than having to have everybody come and fill a football stadium. You know, you can have 50, 75, 100 million viewers online remotely from all around the world watching this program. So the return on investment for a lot of the Division Ones, you know, really does justify scholarships and everything else. Being a Division Three school, it, it doesn't matter as much for us. Sure. I will fully admit that falling under IT is probably not, not the most normal space for an esports program. We just happen to have some leadership in that area who was really, you know, dedicated to esports and wanted to see it grow. But I think more often than not, we're seeing it fall under athletic programs, at least the newer programs that are coming through. It definitely sounds like one of the benefits of sitting under IT, though. It has, you know, you, you guys have a lot of expertise, plus, you know, passion in it. Like, I'm sure there's best practices. Demetrius, like you talked about with servers, you talked about that, but I'm sure you have best practices related to, you know, the types of bandwidth you need and the latency and all the, you know, whether or not you're using PCs or consoles or, or what yeah. platforms. I mean, talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, we do have best practices around technology, and that was, you know, sort of the easiest part of this for us. But, you know, I really feel like it's it's dependent on the school, right? So a community college is going to be looking to get something very different out of esports than, let's say, a Division One school is, or even Stockton, right? So at a community college, typically you don't have residential students, right? Mm -hmm. So the tendency there is to build a community, but that community is essentially a community of commuters, 
right? So what their facility looks like looks different than what our facility would look like or what Udell's facility looks like, right? Uh, and it's not just because of funding, right? It's, it's because of who their community is and what they're trying to achieve. And then you have schools like Stockton, it's a residential school. We predominantly focus on the community aspect of it, right? So Scott mentioned, we're not a division one school. We're not giving out scholarships and stuff like that. So there's really no incentive for us to put it in athletics organizationally speaking. And with our school, we want to build the community aspect. So for us, it makes sense to sort of have this two-pronged program where we have the competitive outlet, but we also focus on the community stuff. And then for your division one schools, it, it makes a lot of sense for that to be homed in athletics because they have, first of all, the structure and the funding to support a real true competitive program. And I guess the issue there, though, is what Scott brought up, that like sometimes they'll lose out on the community aspect of it because they're really looking at it more like a traditional competitive sport as opposed to what it is, which is really a, it's a generational thing, right? It's it's uh, when you say something like gamer culture is pervasive. I mean, it's it's absolutely pervasive among the incoming students and the, the generations to come. So I think also once you start reaching outside of even the collegiate area, Demetrius and I have met with a plethora of different K through 12s who are now trying to get involved in esports themselves. And that's even another layer of what they're looking for is completely different than even what the universities are sometimes looking for. But we, we lend ourselves because we've found that many of them sometimes get bad advice off the get go when they're trying to start a program. The word esports consultant has kind of popped up all mm -hmm. over the place. Sure. And there's yeah. there's lots of people and organizations who are now branding themselves as esports consultants and maybe not always giving the best advice for what they actually need. And, you know, I think an important part of putting together any esports program is kind of the initial budget and where you're going to put everything, you know, not putting all your money into the equipment or the server backend, not putting all your money into, you know, community events and whatever, but really finding a healthy balance. You know, our goal was always to have player machines that were as good, if not better than whatever they would have in their dorm room or at home. Mm -hmm. So we never wanted them to say, well, I'd rather go play on my machine because it's better than what you have. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we didn't build machines that were so costly that we couldn't then run events or send our students to other tournaments. And so many people think, well, you, you need so much money to start an esports program, and you really do not. Um, you need machines that are good enough to play and going to give the student the competitive advantage to a point that they need. But other than that, you know, you don't need that latest and greatest that just rolled off the assembly line. Um, and you don't need to spend a ton of money on the jerseys and the chairs and everything else. Sure. Um, I think creating a really healthy budget that also has purpose to it and mm -hmm. helps build a community, you know, don't leave not enough money to run events or to have prizes for those events and things like that because you bought the latest and greatest chair for your facility. So we try to work with those communities and we lended, you know, early on, a lot of universities came and visited. We kind of showed them our lab and they were like, 
oh, okay, so you painted this, you put some floor down and it looks great, you know, and it, it, it's a perfect, we were going to build a whole thing. And it's like, no, you don't have to do that necessarily, you know, spend the money wisely. And then also listen to your students and what they're looking for in the program. We've had a great, Demetrius really had some foresight and kind of formed an advisory council of students in the esports program. And they were very vocal, but gave us really good opinions about where they thought the program should go and what was important to them. Because he's absolutely right. At every school, it's going to be different. And we learned what our students at Stockton really were looking for, and we're able to kind of foster that. And in turn, we have some amazing teams that have come out and really competed at some high levels. I think that's really fantastic. I mean, so much of what I've heard you say is just you have a really strong sense of self at Stockton. You guys know who you are. You know what your program is. You know who you want to be. And kind of the focus is just on that community. Yeah, you want to play, but that's almost secondary to just bringing people together and this is the mechanism and that's the focus. I, and you guys have stayed true to that, which I think I, is a I great tell story. Demetrius all the time that I absolutely, there's nothing wrong with winning. I love winning. And when our students go and compete nationally and win a huge tournament and come back with some really amazing trophies, but I will lose for the rest of the time that we have an esports program if it continues building the community that it's fostered, because that's really the most important part is that these students who are in the gamer culture world or the student who just didn't know what they wanted or, you know, in high school was kind of not involved in a lot of teams or anything like that. If this is the program that allows them to really come out of their shell, to really make you know new friends, lifelong friends, and learn some skills that they can lend to their career along the way, that's far more important than winning any more tournaments or anything else. So I always say the community events for us are the most important. If we win a couple of tournaments along the way, that's great too. But having a healthy community that's really strong, that's diverse, is far more important than having a winning team at the end of the day. I think that's a perfect sentiment to end our, our conversation on today. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly U.S., wherever you get your podcast.